love that last verse, particularly where we sang, our spirits long to be made whole. And isn't there deep within each of us that longing to feel at home with ourselves and in ourselves and also in the world? To be at one, heart and mind, body and soul. The question is, what keeps us from this? What keeps us from being more whole? It seems to me it's both interior and it's exterior as well. The pace and the complications of our world these days certainly doesn't help. There are plenty of messages coming at us each day that say, do this, be that, find happiness here, find for fulfillment there. And these insistent voices can crowd out the quieter voices that remind us of our inherent worth and goodness, that we don't have to go anywhere or do anything to be in touch with that original blessing that is in us and with us. Though, if you're like, like me, you lose track of it at times. We don't need special knowledge or even the right answers to be in touch with that spirit that's in us and around us. As the psalm reminds us, be still and know that I am God. Lisa and I smile because there's a, a choir anthem that, uh, that is based on that psalm and we sung it before and she assures me we will sing it again because it's one of my favorites. And if you want to be more whole, being still isn't a bad place to start. And out of that, I trust what comes is then doing your own work, including your own inner work, finding parts that have been lost, working to heal what has been broken, piecing together the varied parts of your life into a quilt that will comfort you and sustain you, a patchwork life that will surprise and delight you in its beauty and in its usefulness. The writer Kathleen Norris, who's one of my spiritual heroes, she tells a story, her life tells a story that resonates with me. It's a story of coming back to church after years of thinking that she'd outgrown it. When she and her husband moved from New York City to a small town in South Dakota, the town where her grandparents had lived and where she'd spent summers as a child, Kathleen Norris started attending the Presbyterian church there where her grandmother had been a leader and her grandfather had once been the pastor. And this unexpected coming back to church 
stirred up something in her. And it set her on a journey of discovery, of wondering if there was anything for her at all in this faith that she thought that she, as a poet and a modern thinking woman, had left behind. And this journey wasn't easy. She says, when I first began going to church, I was enormously self-conscious and for a long time could not escape the feeling that I did not belong there. My alienation, my alienation was such that for weeks as a t- at a time, my attempt to worship with others on Sunday morning would trigger a depression lasting for days. More than once, the pastor suggested that I give it a rest for a while. But over time, in fits and starts, Kathleen Norris says she was finally able to feel that she was part of a worshiping congregation, that this came mostly through practice. She puts it this way, I feel blessed to know from experience that it is in the act of worship the act of saying and repeating the vocabulary of faith that one can come to claim it at ours. It is in acts of repetition that seem senseless to the rational mind that belief comes, doubts are put to rest, religious conversion takes hold and one feels at home in a community of faith. And yet, it is not mindless at all. It is head working inseparably from heart, whole body religion. There is something in our nature, isn't it, isn't there, that wants to divide and conquer, that feels the need to choose one thing or the other. Most of us, and I think our young people would point this out to us, most of us are drawn toward what is familiar and comfortable. We can get in these ruts of our own making. One of the problems in our society these days is our tendency to gather with like-minded people, to live in bubbles of folks who see the world in mostly the same way that we do. A couple Saturdays ago, we had a board of trustees retreat. And ahead of time, each of us took a simple personality test, a way of knowing our type according to this test and a way of knowing each other a little better. This test revealed that we have in our midst and among our leaders this year a defender, a mediator, a counsel, a logistician, an adventurer, and three protagonists. (laughs) So you can expect this board of yours to take care of business and at the same time to boldly go where no one has gone before. As to, as some of you know, quote, Star Trek. This month, we're looking at our faith tradition called Unitarian Universalism, which at its best celebrates our differences and invites our diversity 
offering a space where we can be ourselves and become over time more fully ourselves. And then in doing so, join with others to help heal and bless our world. This openness to difference and willingness to change must have been some of what that teenager that Claire quoted last Sunday was talking about when describing this congregation. I say to my friends that it is a church the likes of which you have never seen. I love that. And I wonder, was this about our theological flexibility, our lack of a creed, our love of asking questions and not simply accepting the traditional answers? Some of you know, some of you may not, that our long name comes from two different Protestant denominations, the Unitarians and the Universalists, that officially came together in this country back in 1961. Here in Haverhill, there was a Universalist and a Unitarian congregation that peacefully coexisted for 100 years or more. But the Universalists were the stronger and larger congregation. And the Unitarians eventually came here around 1950, about 10 years before the national merger. And as Josh Goulet, our historian, could tell you, there were letters that went back and forth, invitations from this congregation to them, where the Unitarians considered it for 20, 30 years before they finally came over. They didn't want to rush into anything. <laughs> and this history is why we're a little bit of an outlier in our denomination, where we put the name Universalist first. And it is generally acknowledged there are some real differences between the two traditions. The Unitarian churches tended to be more urban, with more upper class or upper middle class folks, while the Universalists were generally more rural and less well educated. There's an interesting piece online written by Reverend Marilyn Sewell in which she's talking about these similarities and differences, and she says that their worship styles were different too. The Unitarians tending toward the cool and intellectual, while the Universalists were warm and emotive. At the time of the merger, one Universalist put it this way, the Unitarians seem more interested in analyzing the nature of infinity than in the spirit of love. I feel I ought to put on my company manners, which I think means my fancy clothes and my straight up demeanor when I go into a Unitarian church. Unitarianism, you could ask a Unitarian and they would probably say something about, anyway, there was definitely some wariness on both sides, but particularly among the Universalists because they were a much smaller in number than the Unitarians when the merger happened. But way back, Unitarianism in this country came into being when congregations split. Congregations of Trinitarians and Unitarians went their own way over the doctrine of the Trinity. Unitarians said God was one, not three. 
And universalism arose as a corrective to Calvinism, which said that people are basically bad, and therefore God is angry about this. Universalism says the nature of God is love, and that none of us are beyond it. And this belief in universal salvation is where the name comes from. Put more succinctly, Unitarian Universalism. One God, nobody left behind. When I first entered a UU congregation, following my wife there, the invitation to ask questions and search my own heart and mind, it woke up a sleeping spirituality in me I didn't know I had. And a few years later, I heard this call to ministry that eventually led me to three other UU churches. All of them I see now were Unitarian. And then I came here, the first Universalist congregation I've ever known. And that I love so much. You good-hearted, down-to-earth people with your kindness and generosity of spirit and how good you are at feeding people, feeding one another and feeding the hungry and feeding people out in the wider world. And I wonder if you know these are all universalist traits. You don't find this the way you are in most UU congregations you enter. And at the same time, it is also good that we have our Unitarian side with its emphasis on thinking and questioning, its valuing of reason and learning. There's a saying about this that if you want a good discussion, go to one that's led by the Unitarians. But if you're hungry and looking for a potluck supper, go to one the Universalists are putting on. And if these kind of differences and similarities and our backgrounds pique your interest and you'd like to explore it more, then I hope you can come to one of the upcoming sessions we call UU 101, which is a great way to meet people and learn about this church and our faith tradition. My message for you this morning is this, that we need all these differences, the varied parts of ourselves, the different perspectives and personalities and skills that each of us bring. If we are to be more whole, we need a faith that celebrates body and spirit. We need head and heart working together whole body religion. From the start, I've loved on Sunday mornings here watching you come into this place and now I love that you folks are able to also join us on Zoom. Years ago, from watching you, I started to get a sense of what I think brings you here. It's certainly not the sermon or the committee meetings. It's not even the coffee or the cookies. 
It's something that I see happening before the service begins. And it happens maybe in the greeting time. It happens in the prayer time. It happens after the benediction. You come here, don't you, to see others and to also be seen by them. Maybe you also come to be seen by the Spirit. You come to be seen for who you are in all your fullness and to see others in their fullness too. And this is the renewing and redeeming work of being part of a faith community, witnessing and being witnessed, being part of this holy, life-affirming dance that involves both holding on and letting go, opening up to the sacred mystery all around what Whittier called the Spirit overseeing all. I look around this sanctuary and I see your beautiful faces. And some Sundays I remember back to those pandemic days. And I'm reminded of what a gift it is just to be able to gather together. I feel the holiness of what happens when we gather here. Seeing and being seen. Head and heart working together whole body religion. That's what we're doing. And this is what Ada Limon so beautifully lifts up in her words we heard this morning about this reciprocity of seeing and being seen. That it's our work together, she says, to see one another. To seek and embrace these moments when we aren't divided, when we aren't disconnected, which are holy moments, aren't they? To be swallowed, she writes, by being seen, a dream, to be made whole by being not a witness, but witnessed, to be whole by being not a witness, but witnessed. Amen.